You're listening to the audio from Tuesday Night Class at CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this teaching helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God of grace, we thank you for your word. And we do pray we live in response to your word, that we would present our bodies, present ourselves as living sacrifices, that we would not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds and help us to discern your will and grant us the courage to follow you however you should lead in jesus name amen Amen. so um in thinking of our world today let me just throw this out we won't break into groups because we know how awkward that could be uh (laughs) we might still do that later but uh uh what what do you think is Today, in these, in these days, in these difficult days, what is the most discouraging part about following Jesus in our world today? Not difficult. What's, what's discouraging? That it doesn't pay back in this life. Oh, that yeah. So it, it, it doesn't seem to pay back in this life right um yeah no or or maybe and maybe it just doesn't i mean if especially depends on how your life uh, plays out nobody has any absolutes anymore right so you're trying to talk you're trying to live out um the life that jesus has for you we live in the reality that he is the truth, the life and the way, and everyone around you thinks you're absolutely crazy because there is no truth. There is no one way. And you make your life however you want it to be. Yeah, good. Christianity becomes politicized. Yes, yes, Christianity becomes uh, politicized for sure. Um, Yes. Mike, look looked at the notes. That's not fair. Uh, no, that's good. <laughs> well, even what people define as Christianity, what's showing up on the TV screens and on social media about people attributing uh, certain thoughts or, or actions towards Christians. That's a good point, Lisa. Yeah, when you see some of these yahoos doing things in the name of Jesus and people saying, well, this is what Christians are like. You're just like, no, no. <laughs> and it's discouraging. It is very right. discouraging. Yeah, absolutely. Huh. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's so many things that we could look at. Um, I had a great chat with a buddy of mine. We were talking about, uh, um, when on, on the weekend when I was preaching, I was talking about uh, social media. And uh, we were just talking about, you know, how increasingly in our world, the lens through which people see and engage with reality is the lens of social media. It's, it's a false reality, but that's the primary lens through which people see the world. And how do you, how do you engage with people without being sucked into that? Yeah. Wow. Good. Uh, Well, with discouragement, uh, we are going to uh, begin our story in the book of Judges. And uh, the story we're going to be looking at is the story of Samson. And it begins with an all too familiar refrain. Chapter 13, verse 1. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord gave them into the land of the Philistines. Mike pointed this out last week. It's just the times that they're enslaved gets longer and longer. They're enslaved for 40 years, which basically means an entire generation. They've been enslaved. And um, we're learning in in the book of Judges um, about Israel in a time where Israel had no king and where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Um, And remember that phrase. And we have Israel, rather than living out his calling to affect the surrounding nations so that all the nations of the world would be blessed. They are infected by the surrounding nations. They take, take their, on their practices. And by the time we get to the story of Samson, you get, uh, you got the nation of Israel that is completely fine and content to live under the rule of 
of the Philistines. It's not even like, oh, this is so hard. It's just like, ah, this is the way it is. That, that's how bad things are going to get. These are desperate times. Now, the story of Samson, we're actually going to hear lots of echoes from previous stories. It's kind of interesting the way the book of Judges is, is structured. Um, like Gideon's story in, in Samson's story, there's a story of an angel and a burning and a burnt offering, a burning sacrifice. Um, there are there's a troop of 300 that are sent to harass and defeat the enemy. This this troop happens to be a furry troop. Uh, they are foxes tied together. Uh, like in the story of Deborah, this story also has a very dangerous woman with a peg. It's actually the same word, planning to do some damage. Like the story of Shamgar. The, the story has a judge killing his enemies with a strange weapon. Uh, you, you have an ass's jawbone in chapter 15 and an ox goad way back in chapter 3. And like in the story of Othniel, uh, the judge's wife in this story is quite important. Now, the similarities, though, also serve to highlight the contrast between Samson and the rest of the judges. Samson is a unique fellow. He's very, and he's one of the most colorful figures in judges, I would have to say. He's dynamic. He's got incredible strength. He's got a fierce temper, temper and lustful impetuousness. He's a maverick. Uh, he's more of a maverick than a judge. I'm not sure if, I don't know if you can think of a political leader who is a maverick among that judge. Anyhow. Um, but in the story of judges, uh, in the story of Samson, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's kind of like this, the judges chapter one. If you think back to judges chapter one, it's kind of like the story of judges chapter one, but writ large on, in this bigger story. Because in judges chapter one, I don't know if you can remember way back at the beginning, uh, the, the question was, who will go up to fight against our enemies? And the answer was, Judah will go up, right? Judah will go up, and the Lord gave the land into his hand. But by the end of chapter one, we realize, we read these words, that the Amorites uh, were, you know, oppressing, and the, the, the uh, people from the tribe of, of, of Dan, um, they go up and... Uh, and uh, they, they don't, uh, they're not successful. And our first judge is Othniel, right? And uh, he, who's, you know, associated with the tribe of Judah, and he does well. Our last judge we encounter is from the tribe of Dan, and he does not do that well. Um, by the time we get to, uh, <laughs> by the time we get to Samson, uh, the deterioration of Israel's state uh, is is quite uh, quite evident. The downward the downward spiral is is quite evident. We find rebellion, uh, retribution, but you don't find any repentance at all. There's not even a cry for mercy. And we read that Israel has been sent into the hands of the Philistines for forty years, which is a long time. You think about it. You know, kids growing up um, in our day, kids growing up. Uh, have 13 years in school, in elementary school and high school. And uh, I mean, that's a long time to be influenced by, you know, overseers, by teachers. And here you got 40 years, uh, 40 years to be under the thumb of the Philistines and all that they believe. And it really affects Israel. So much so that by the time you get to Samson, you find an Israel that's, you know, it's very happy to intermarry. That's not an issue. They're very happy to take in Philistine culture. In fact, one of the most telling uh, parts in, in the story of Samson is there's a scene later on, and I'm assuming you guys have all read this, uh, these passages. We'll look at a few tonight, but it is a longer section. So um, there's, there's a scene where, where uh, Samson's causing some trouble with the Philistines, and who actually grabs him to take him to the Philistines? People from the tribe of Judah. And their attitude to Samson is like, dude, why don't don't be making waves here? And so, you know, we're gonna take you, like our your own person is gonna take you just to make sure that things are smooth between Israel 
and their overseers, the Philistines. Yikes. And so even the Lord has to look for an opportunity to bring judgment against the Philistines. It's not like there's lots of volunteers to fight against the Philistines. Um, he actually has to look for, for, he has to orchestrate things so that there is judgment against the Philistines. And, and so it seems that Israel at this stage of the story has completely sold out. It's sold out to the ways and the practices of their oppressors. And if it wasn't for the Lord intervening, I mean, you might have an Israel going, yeah, we're good. We're good. We like the Philistines. It's just the way it is. It's just the way of the world. And, and, and in the story, and by certainly, yeah, all throughout the story, it seems that the Lord's name is barely mentioned anymore. And that the God of the Philistine, Dagon, seems to have won. And so that's why I began with Paul's uh, passage in Romans 12, you know, do not be conformed, right? Um, and I think, man, I, Israel's almost ceased to be a nation at this stage. That's how, that's how bad things are. They've almost stopped being a nation. They've just been absorbed into, uh, into the Philistines, Philistine culture. And I was thinking about this this week. I thought, man, oh, man. This is kind of the story of the church in North America, isn't it? How ready we are to blend into the ways of the world to the point that you can't really distinguish the church from culture anymore. And how, how, how dangerous it is for you and I to find evil so interesting, so irresistible that we find ourselves turning to it again and again, even though God has rescued us time and again, but we, we, we get drawn into this stuff and it, it distracts our heart. And I think, you know, Samson on so many levels or the story of Israel on so many levels is, is a real warning to the church. Boy, I think we really need to, the more I study judges, um, the more I just think, man, what a book for the church today. Now, Samson's calling, Sam, there, there's, it's, what makes Samson's story so interesting is that there's a birth story. There's a, there's a really interesting birth story. And if, so if you, have, if you have your Bibles, we're going to actually look at it, uh, look at a little bit of it. Uh, Samson, uh, Samson chapter 13, Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13. We'll look at uh, verse 2, begin at verse 2. So there was a certain man of Zorah, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no strong wine or strong drink. Eat nothing unclean, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, a man of God came to me, and his appearance to me was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him where he's from, and he did not tell me his name, but he said to me, behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Okay, the day of his death. Interesting. The angel actually didn't say that to the, to the day of his death, but uh, the wife seemed to know, the mom seemed to know something. Um, I love this story. If you guys know this story in chapter 13, it is it's probably one of the best stories to teach about marriage relations. <laughs> It's, it's so, it is, it is just gold. It is so, and, and you know what, in the story of Judges, which is kind of heavy, uh, it, this is a bit of a nice respite. I like this story. Um, he's, uh, the story of Samson actually could divide, be divided into two parts. His, his birth is calling and then how he lives it out. Um, the whole focus of the story zooms in on this one man and the guy's name is Manoah. And uh, we learn about Manoah and his wife. And God shows up. An angel shows up. Again, we can't miss this. I mean, in the midst of all this darkness that we've just been describing, God's 
grace shows up. God doesn't need to do this, but he shows grace. He, he comes to this woman who is barren. He says, you're going to have a child, right? It's a gift of grace from the Lord. And they were told that this baby was going to be two things, two things. One, this baby was going to be holy. Uh, he's going to be a Nazarite. Um, and Nazarites were holy men. And so Samson's mother was told <laughs> not to drink any wine or, or beer or strong drinks during the pregnancy, which probably a good idea, um, or eat anything unclean because what she was going to carry in her womb was sacred. Secondly, he's, uh, he used to be a Nazarite to God. And so that means this, this child is going to be set apart as belonging to God. And we're going to come back to that, what that means. Now, how this plays out is actually quite fun. Uh, <laughs> Manoah and his wife, they speak to each other, like husbands and wives often speak to each other. Even today, there's banter, there's misunderstanding, there's excitement, there's chatter. They're trying to get their heads wrapped around the unexplainable. And uh, the whole time, what gets what makes this story so funny is Manoah. Because Manoah is the, the husband. And the whole time, he's trying to get on top of things. Like a typical guy, he's trying to get on top of something that he cannot get on top of. But he's trying to. And, he's, and he fails every step of the way. And uh, I kind of see myself in Manoah because... I'm one of those guys that uh, if I'm with a group of people, I'll, I'll I'll take the lead, even if I have no idea where I'm going. Like often when I'm like I have no I have a horrible sense of direction, just the worst sense of direction. And yet if I'm in a group of people, I'll lead people, and I'll get them lost. I used to be a tour guide, and I remember leading my <laughs> this whole group of people. We turn the corner, there'd be this big wall because I had got them lost, and I'd be like, huh. <laughs> How did they, uh, they built that wall this uh, past year? <laughs> like I, I would just get people lost. But Manoah's kind of, Manoah's trying to lead, but he has no idea what he's doing. And so, you know, this, this angel appears to his wife and just lays out this, this beautiful thing. And, and Manoah, uh, what does he pray? He prays that the man of God would come again, just as, you know, after he appeared to, his, to, to the wife. And uh, he prays that uh, the, the man of God would, would tell him how to bring up their boy. And so basically he wants to give me the instructions and I'll figure out what to do. Thank you very much. And, and the angel comes again, but she shows up, he shows up to her again. And Manoah's not there. This time the wife's like, hang on, hang on. And she runs and gets her husband. And uh, he finally gets the instructions on how to raise a boy, how to raise this boy. But Manoah, he's overwhelmed and he's confused and he's still trying to get on top of things. And so finally, he doesn't know what to say. I get it. He doesn't know what to say. So what does he say? He goes, uh, what is your name? <laughs> what is your name so that, uh, that when the words come true, we can honor you? And the angel's response, like, why, why do you ask my name? Like, it's, it's, since it's so wonderful. And what, what he's saying is like, even if I told you my name, Manoah, you're not going to understand it. And in the end, the angel, uh, you know, uh, burns up the offering and goes up and disappears, right? And Manoah realizes when the angel goes up, Manoah's like, whoa, this is an angel of the Lord. <laughs> and what does he say to his wife? He says, oh, I said, we've seen an angel. We're as good as dead. And the wife goes, um... If we're as good as dead, why would he just tell us all these things about me having a baby and the baby's going to grow up to be a Nazarite? It's like, give your head a shake, Manoah. So I do like this story because it's just, it, it actually is a reminder that a lot of problems would be solved if husbands listened to their wives. Right? And all the women said, amen. Yeah, I can see the nodding. I can see the nodding. And a lot of the guys going, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so this angel speaks to her. And he says something really interesting. He says, no razor shall come upon his head. For this child is to be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And notice what he said, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. But when she says it, it's interesting what she, when she describes it to her husband, she says, he, yeah, he's going to be a Nazarite. No razor's going to touch his head, but he shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Somehow she knows, she knows that her son's separation to God is going to end up in death. It's interesting. So 
everything in this chapter so far tells us that this Samson is going to be pretty special. Uh, his name means like the sun, like the shining sun. He's holy. He's separated to God right from the womb. His birth is announced by an angel. He's declared to be a savior. Boy, does any of this sound familiar? Hang on. Let's tell me if you hear any echoes, especially at this time of year. The birth announcement is given to unlikely people. His mother plays a prominent role in the story. She seems to have faith. In fact, she seems to understand more than her husband. Um, if we read the story, we know that the Holy Spirit will come upon this Samson. That he will be, and if you know the story, you know that he'll be rejected by his own people that he'll be tortured and made a spectacle by his enemies, that he'll be arrested and handed over to his enemies, to the enemy. And we know that salvation comes through his death. In dying, he destroys the power of Dagon, the God of Israel's enemies. Does any of the sound kind of like echo of an other story you can think of? This is kind of cool, isn't it? So here's an idea I have. I don't know if I'm going to do it yet. Um, I have to decide, but I have an idea. Uh, I'm supposed to actually preach the first of our Christmas messages, so I'm thinking about preaching on Samson for fun. Uh, I, 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 I think, well, I think it's there. I think there's, there's, there's something there. So uh, we'll see how it goes. I might change my mind, but uh, I thought maybe this would be kind of cool because this, this story, it prefigures a parallel story that is to come. And now in the meantime, there's more enemies that come. There's exile. There's all sorts of stuff. But more dark days are going to come. But then we come across these words later on. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him, uh, will give to him the throne. <laughs> the drone. No, it's not the drone. The throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will be no end. Hmm. His name will be Jesus. And he'll save his people from his sins. Interesting. Now, Samson is no Jesus, though. <laughs> He's no Jesus. Uh, I like what Michael Wilcox said. He says, the 12th judge may, in some ways, be the nearest we get to the, in, the in the book of Judges to a Christ figure. But he's also a walking disaster. <laughs> Let all who are given great opportunities, great responsibilities, and great gifts take warning. Wow, that's good. So let's look at Samson. How, this, how does this great, great story, how does this great promise play out? All right. Because uh, I, I have Samson down. I, I write down Samson. He's a saint and a sinner. And many of us, we, yeah, he's a sinner. How is he a saint? Well, uh, many theologians in church history see him as a type of Christ, a kind of a figure of Christ. Uh, he shows up again, that, that, that awkward hall in the book of Hebrews, the hall of faith. We got Samson. Um, and then we read that he is a Nazarite to God, that he has been dedicated to God, separated for God. So how does this play out? We've looked at Samson on the outside. Let's look on the inside. Um, see how his life turns out. And uh, that's always the tension, I think, in the Christian life is like, you know, can, will we become the people that we're meant to be? Yeah. So will Samson become the person that he was meant to be, that he was, you know, um, prophesied to be? Uh, well, we're going to look at it thematically and we're going to look at different themes in Samson's life. And one of the themes I want to look at is his loves or his lust hard to tell the difference sometimes uh, but before i do that any questions we're going to get back to the nazarite some of you guys might have some questions about the nazarites but any questions any comments any observations if no one has one david you got to tell us more about the angel of the lord because by far this character is way more than just an angel yeah why do you say that kevin uh, he basically does things that we see at the burning bush. So he goes up in fire. He's speaking out of it. Uh, when they say they're going to die, it's because they've seen God. 
Whereas we see just before it, it's the angel of the Lord. He seems to speak for God. He seems to, <laughs> he yeah. seems more than just an angel. But how, how would that differ from, you know, um, kind of theophanies or encounters with angels uh, you see in the New Testament uh, where people fall down as in dead? I would think this is more of a Christ before he comes to earth. Do you think so, eh? Yeah. You think it's a pre-incarnate uh, manifestation of Christ? When I read through the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord does things that no one else does. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Wow. He stands alone. He really does. That's funny. I, I was, uh, on, I'm on an ordination committee. And uh, one of the questions I asked uh, to the person who was trying to pass the test today was, um, are there any examples in the Old Testament of the pre-incarnate Christ? And because uh, that was a question that was posed to me. I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure if I would agree with you, Kevin, but uh, but I also recognize I could be completely wrong, too. Uh, it's, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Would you also say in the uh, in the furnace? Uh, in the fiery uh, furnace? Sure, you betcha. I, but I even just look, there's comparisons between this and Exodus. Like I say, you're reading this and going, this sounds strangely familiar. Yeah, 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 there is yeah. <laughs> Like I say, <clears throat> the flame, the idea of God speaking out of the bush. And even if you go back to Exodus, it'll say it was God speaking out. And they'll say it was the angel of the Lord talking. And, yeah. and there seems to be this, yeah. he speaks for God. And yet he still says, you need to make your sacrifice to the Lord. So yeah. he doesn't seem to be saying, make the sacrifice to me, but then he seems to speak. It just, he seems way different than any angel that I see in the Bible whatsoever. Like Different from the one with Gideon as well? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. He speaks rather than, even the way Jesus, so in the New Testament, people will pray for a miracle and they'll say, I pray in, in, in the name of the Father or whatever. And Jesus just says, you're healed. Like he doesn't ever make, just as Jesus yeah, yeah. stands out in the New Testament, I see the angel of the Lord standing out in the Old Testament. Like it's just like, you, eh? yeah. yeah, no, and, and, you know, and, and you may well be right. I, I'm not sure. I, I don't. Uh, yeah, I, I probably wouldn't go there, but uh, I know really smart people like yourself that would go. there. Yeah. So I'm, uh, no, and it's true. Like, I, I mean, I know you, you, you know, your scripture quite very well, Kevin. So um uh, yeah, I, I probably would just say that he's uh, that the angels, angel of the Lord, they are the full rep they're representing the Lord, they're messengers of God, and so that's what's being captured. There, good. Well, no, it's good. I could very well be wrong on that. Yeah. Uh, other comments, questions? I was just going to say that it seems like uh, Samson's mother and father must have been uh, like it shows how far the Israelites had had fallen away from God that they seemed totally clueless about what the Nazarite, what the idea of being a Nazarite was. That's a good point, Ken. Good, good job. Yeah. And, yeah. and they would, most, most people would probably know that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially if they know, you know, the, 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 um, the Pentateuch, you know, and what, what is, was written in, in numbers. Yeah. Good. Can I ask one more tricky one? Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, sure. Thanks. A tricky one. That's if no one else has them. Um, yeah. So in verse uh, one, they did evil in the sight of the Lord and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. So God seems pretty active in uh, bringing the discipline here. Yeah. I don't know if it's a question or a statement, but I'm just like, wow, this wasn't sort of... Uh, they did this evil and therefore they fell into it. It's like, no, no, God's like, here's, I'm bringing the Philistines upon you. Yeah, no, that's good. I mean, is that, um, well, we see that with, uh, with Gideon though, right? And the Lord gave them into the hands of the Midian, into the hand of Midian seven yeah. years. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, that is a, the picture of retribution and judgment for sure. Yeah. Which is, which is a, certainly a warning. And I mean, if we go back to Jephthah last week, God yeah. hands them over to uh, the gods that they've been worshiping. And he's like, let them save you. Yeah. So there yeah, might be good. an extension of that. Yeah, good point, Mike. Can I ask a question about uh, Samson's riddle? Like what happened in the oh. end? Uh, or... uh, we'll get there. How about, okay. If I don't come up to that, is that like the, the riddle about the, uh, the honey and... and yeah. yeah. Uh, I can ask yeah. it later if you get to it. Yeah, if I don't remember, uh, Natalia, bring it up. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Okay. 
All right, well, let's look at uh, Samson and the ladies. That's how we're going to call this section, Samson and the ladies. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, we read in chapter 16, verse 4, these words. After this, he loved a woman in the Valley of Sorek, and her name was Delilah. Uh, yes, well, one thing we gonna, we're going to learn about Samson is that he has a thing for the ladies. This is when we come when we finally get to Delilah, and uh, she is a third woman that we've come across in his story. Way back in chapter 14, uh, we read that Samson saw, quote, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came and he told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. She is right in my eyes. What is this woman's name? We don't know. We know that, now pay attention, listen to this. We know that Samson saw her, right? He saw her, um, desired to take her because she was right in his eyes. He saw, saw that she was beautiful and took her. Does that, do you, do you hear an echo? To, for another passage in the Bible? What echo do you see? I hear you nodding. I see, I see I hear you nodding. I see you nodding, Lori. What, what, what do you hear? David and Bathsheba? There's David and Bathsheba. Yeah, but keep going. There's another. There's... If, if saw the fruit is uh, good yeah. for eating and take it. Yeah. Well, sir, and, yeah, and David and Bathsheba would certainly be the... Uh, Another instance that you see that actually with Lot as well, with Lot and Abraham, where they have to choose a land, it says Lot looked, saw that the land was awesome, and he took it. This idea that you look, you see that it was nice, and you take that that's what takes place, Naira, as you said, in the garden. It's the language of the garden, it's the language of idolatry, idolatry, it's the language of living independent from God. You look, you see, you take, right. And so we're told that uh, this girl that he first sees is a Philistine. Now, what's Samson doing? Well, nothing really good comes out of this relationship. Um, it, it's a mess. She ends up with, with, you know, being married off to what was his best man or somebody like that. One of his, uh, somebody else. Um, the second time we come across a woman is at the beginning of chapter 16, where he comes across a prostitute. And again, what it? it says? He sees and he takes. She doesn't have a name either. In this case, the relationship, the relationship is contractual. He pays and gets her, then he leaves. But there's a third woman, and that woman's name is Delilah. Delilah. And she's different. Why is she different? How's his relationship with her different? She's given a name. She's given a name. There's something else. He loves her. He loves her. Yes, he loves her. You don't see that with the other two. The other two is just the language of lust, the language of taking. We read that she has a name and that he loves her. After this, he loved a woman in the Valley of Sorek whose name is Delilah. And notice this, when he comes across Delilah, um, he, uh, he doesn't demand anything. He doesn't take her. He brings himself and he wants to love and be loved. So what's going on? This is interesting. This, so what's going on in Samson's life here? Now, there's, there's going to be a problem and the problem stems from Delilah, partly from Delilah. Um, her name means night or darkness. And so you got the guy whose name means like the sun who's flirting with darkness. Um, she's most likely a Philistine. There's some doubt, but it's most likely a Philistine. And uh, which reminds us that Samson has no real issue with the Philistines, like hanging out with the Philistines or dating the Philistines or being part of the Philistine culture, unless he's provoked and then he causes a lot of damage. 
So uh, what do we know about Delilah? Does she love him? Well, it doesn't look like it. We know she loves money. Um, 1,100 pieces of silver, which I, I, I read today about how much that would, that would be a lot of money, a lot of money. And unlike the other women, she is cunning and devious. In fact, the way the Philistines treat her is very different than his first wife, where they just said, you know, give us the answer to the riddle, Natalia, what you're asking. Uh, otherwise, we're going to burn your house down and your dad as well. Uh, they can't bully her. They actually come to her and they negotiate. So she's, she's, she's different. Um, she seduces Samson completely in order to get what she wants. And so she's paid by the Philistines to what? To discover the source of his strength. Because Samson has been causing all sorts of problems with the Philistines. Um, not Now we have to get this. Samson has caused all sorts of damage to the Philistines. If you know the story, like there's, you know, you'll destroy their crops. Or like you'll, you'll kill a whole bunch of them. And, uh, but he never does this acting on behalf of Israel in order to judge the Philistines at all. It's just because he gets provoked and it's his reaction. It's always like a byproduct. It's never an act of, 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 uh, of judgment, though God uses it, right? And so Delilah very sweetly asks Samson, what is the source of your great strength? Because you're just beating the tar out of all these Philistines. For Samson, she is asking him the most intimate thing about him. Now, when you love someone, that might be something that you might end up sharing. Because in a loving relationship, there ought to be no secrets. But he hesitates. He hesitates in giving her the answer when she asks for it. Because he knows that this is a big secret. This is a really big secret. There's a lot at stake if he tells her the secret. And so he stalls and he kind of makes it into a kind of a playful game, but she gets more and more mad. Uh, he keeps giving her false answers. But as he's giving her answers, he gets closer and closer to the truth. He gets very close. And then finally, Delilah pulls, <laughs> pulls the, the, the one card that uh, some guys have a hard time resisting, where she says to him, Aw, how can you say that you love me <laughs> if, if, you're not, if your heart is not with me, if you're not going to trust me with all your heart? <laughs> she said it just like that, I think. So those are strong words in a relationship. How can you say you love me if you're not going to share your heart with me? And we read, and when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her, get this, how does he tell her? He tells her all his heart. He actually bears his heart and says to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak like any other man. Now this time Delilah knows he's telling the truth. She calls on the Philistines to grab him. And uh, here's a question for you. Okay, yeah. What are some of the reasons you think Samson decides to tell Delilah the truth? You guys are familiar with the story, I'm assuming. There's a proverb that comes to mind. Yeah, let's hear it. The nagging uh, housewife. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah. Was it the, the dripping of water or, yeah. Well, overconfidence. Think... Sorry, that? go ahead. Go ahead. He was I... overconfident. <laughs> yeah, that's the Zoom etiquette. Yeah, it always work. He was overconfident, maybe, maybe, yeah. And Denisa, what were we going to say? I was going to say, I think um, just using just human psychology, I think because he loved her, he wanted to have a relationship with her. And because he wanted to have a relationship with her, he needed to not be bound by by the call that he had on his life. Oh, that's good. Yeah, very good. Huh. 
you needed to be a normal person, like a normal, normal guy that could settle down and have a wife and children. And he just, yeah. Do, do you get a, do you get uh, an an indication of that in the text itself? Is there anywhere in the text that kind of hints at that? Um, just from just human psychology, I think is. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think there's actually a hint in the text that would would support what you're saying. Okay, Lori. Yeah, I was just it's along the same lines as Denisa. Um, you know, it says there that his soul was vexed to death, and um, we know that he really he really loves her. And I wonder if he uh, if he's partly vexed because he thinks she doesn't believe it, and he wants to he just wants to prove how much he does love her. Um, that he just gives in at that point. Yeah. Or maybe yeah. it was just like, oh, life with her became a hell. So I might just as well tell her because it makes no difference, oh, you know, maybe. living like that and dying anyway. So <laughs> if know. it gets her to shut up, then I will tell her. No, <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> But I think there's, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, go, go ahead, Naira. No, go ahead. Mike before me wants to go. No, no, go ahead. I'm so sorry. But for me, it comes through that one because he didn't believe if he said that secret, he'll lose his uh, strength because normally he's Nazareth. He shouldn't drunk. He shouldn't touch the corpse. Uh, he shouldn't do anything, but he did all of them. And still he has his strength. That's why maybe he, he thought maybe Estranges on mine, not for the uh, the rosary comes on my head. I believe he didn't believe that one because he broke the other ones and nothing changed in him. Wow, Naira, very good, very insightful, awesome. Mike, what were you gonna say? Exactly what Naira said. Yeah. Oh, very good. And uh, Denisa, I think I found it. I think it's in verse seventeen. He said he wanted to be like any other man. There you go. That's the key. That is the key right there. Yeah, for if my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Now, Barry Webb in his commentary on this, he, he makes lots of this point. Um, and he makes a case. He says that for Samson, this vow, this calling, this Nazarite ship had become a burden to Samson. And he wanted to be released from it. He wanted the ordinary pleasures of an ordinary man, a woman to love, a family, a place to call home, and an end to the battles he had been fighting. Put simply, he wanted out. And, you, and I don't think it's a stretch because you look at much of Samson's life. He has no, kind of like what you were saying, Naira. Um, he has no real interest in in living out this, this uh, what it means to be a Nazarite. So we're going to talk about that in a second. But um, these desires, you know, to have be married, to be to love and to be loved, those are all good things. But seeing is Samson knew deep down his calling. He says, I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. And yet he lives most of his life ignoring this call or living as if there was no call on his life. He fraternizes with the Philistines. He's kind of, I was trying to think, what's his relationship with the Philistines like? It's kind of like me growing up in, in, in small town Ontario. I mean, there's guys that you, you fight with and the guys you drink with and you fight with them and you drink with them. And it's just, it's just the, the kind of world that you live in. Um, you know, he's, he's, he visits Gaza. He visits, he's always in the Philistine neighborhood and he never even thinks twice about it. Um, his whole dealings with the Philistines was never an intentional response to the oppression against Israel, but it's a byproduct of something else. Which brings us back to the whole question of being a Nazarite. What is the big... Before you continue, can I jump yeah, in? Uh, yeah, Anne, of course. Anne McDonald asked a great question. Was a Nazarite supposed to marry or be separated to God alone? So she asked that. Oh, very good. Yeah, very good. So that's uh, Anne. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's a lot of mysteries. Actually, let, that's okay. I'm going to actually dive into what it means to be a Nazarite at this point. Okay. Um, and, and, and 
there, there is some mystery and ambiguity about being a, a Nazarite. Um, typically, being a Nazarite is something that you would choose to do for a set period of time. So it's not like uh, you're from birth all through your life. It's, it's uh, maybe a, a, a time in your life where you dedicate yourself entirely to God. Um, and so, but so Samson's case is a little bit different. It seems like this is, there's a, there's a greater calling on his life. But if you read number six, uh, numbers chapter six, it seems to be something that you could do for a while. And, and then when you, you finish that set period of time, then that ends and you can carry on with your life. And presumably marriage might, might be one of the options. Um, we do know that they were not to be as other men, like during when you've taken the vow, they're to be not as other men. Uh, they're to abstain from wine and from beer uh, or strong drink. I actually learned that the word strong drink most likely is a form of beer, uh, which is quite interesting. Uh, they were not to touch a dead body or go near one. And they were to let their hair grow long so and no razor could touch their head until they were done, right? And so they would not look ordinary to the surrounding world. Now, again, Samson's, his story is a bit different in from how this is typically played out. Uh, he never made the vow. He never made, made a vow. It was made for him, right? It was placed on him before he was born. He was a Nazarite by God's preordained word. And the purpose of his being set apart was not just, okay, you know, to dedicate you know, a time of his life to God. The whole purpose of him being set apart was clear. It was to deliver Israel from the Philistines. That's what we read back in, in chapter 13. And only when he had delivered Israel from the Philistines would his vow be fulfilled. And so Samson, he's uniquely equipped to live at this calling. He's got charisma. He's got lots of strength. We read that the spirit stirred in him when he was quite young. Uh, we see that in chapter 13. Uh, we see as by the Holy Spirit that he kills the lion. He kills Philistines at Ashkelon and again at Lehi in chapter 15. He was a man on whom God's spirit and calling rested. And yet, and yet, despite all this, Samson really never showed a great inclination to live out this calling. And we know this. We know this because of the way he lived his life. Uh, he drank wine. <laughs> He's always in vineyards. Not a good place to hang out if you're not supposed to be drinking wine. He drank wine. We read that in chapter 14, verse 10. Uh, he scrapes honey out of what? Crops, lion crops. The carcass of a lion. So there's a, something dead, right? Which is another violation. Chapter 14, verses 8 and 9. Which he had killed, by the way, in a vineyard. Um, he handled flesh, the jawbone of an ass, right? He whined and dined with the Philistines and tried to intermarry with them. The one thing he held on to, actually is interesting, the one thing that he, that wasn't kind of imposed upon him I'm kind of reading into this a little bit, but one thing that's not imposed upon him from birth, but something that he actually would have to daily decide not to do, and that is to cut his hair. So the one part of his Nazarite vow that he was able to keep was the last thing to fall, and that was his hair. That was one area of obedience. But now he tries to get rid of it by telling Delilah about the secret of his strength. And so in the end, it, it seems as if Samson did not want to be a person set apart for God. Now that he had found his love, he wants to settle down. He wants to live a quiet life. And he wants to be like every other man, like any other man. And so he tells Delilah all of his heart. And what happens then? Look at chapter 16. Let's linger here for a second. Chapter 16, verse 18. When Delilah saw that he had told her all of her heart, she sent, she called the lords of the Philistines saying, come up again for he's told me his heart. Then the lords of the Philistine came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made, she made him, there's such a tender, quiet 
moment at this point. She made him sleep. Remember, um, what was that? Sharon, doesn't that sound a little bit like jail? Yeah? Yeah. She made him sleep on her knees and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks on his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I'll go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he, look at this. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. His state of his soul got to the point where he did not know if the Lord was with him or had left him. The Philistines seized him. They gouged out his eyes. They brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. So what happens? Well, he gets his heart's desire, he, but he also gets the opposite of his heart's desire. He does become weak. Just You want to be just like any other man? He becomes just like any other man. He becomes weak like any other man. And then it says, we did not know the Lord had left him. And I thought, man, those are haunting words for me this week. Because I thought, what is it like to get to the place where you do not even realize that the Lord has left you? And I, I see this where people, you know, who started off so strong in their faith where they stop praying, stop listening, stop obeying, stop obeying, and they just keep doing their own thing. And they're not even aware of the fact that they have nothing to do with the Lord anymore. The problem is they say that when the light in your eyes is darkness, there's a deep darkness. Always I was scared of that sentence. When the light in your eyes is dark, because the eyes is our light. And the, yeah. when the light in your eyes is darkness, that's a deep dark. Yeah, very good. It's interesting, Nari, just when I, um, before I was a Christian, I came back to Canada for a week. I was living in China. I came back to Canada for a week. I was a heavy drinker, heavy smoker, heavy swearer. I swore like a, well, I shared that on the weekend, but I was just, I was a miserable, angry, horrible person. And one of the things I had to do when I came back to uh, Ontario is I had to get my license renewed because I hadn't renewed it for a while because I'd been living overseas for so many years. And I remember getting it done. And then I was looking at the picture and I remember looking at this after I became a Christian and I looked at the picture my eyes were as black as coal. They were so dark. They were so dark. And I remember that. And I was actually, it, it was quite, quite shy. It kind of shocked me a little bit. Um, we read that uh, Samson, he's imprisoned, he's humiliated, he's degraded. And only when he's at that place, when he's in this horrible place, it seems only then, look at the, look what we read. It says, um, verse 26, and Samson said, Oh, let's go back a little bit. Verse 25 in chapter 16. And when their hearts were merry, these are the Philistines, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. And so they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. His eyes have been gouged out, right? He always, he always did things that were right in his own eyes. And in the end, he's blind. That's powerful. Um, so they call him out, he's entertained, make him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which this house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women. And they looked on, excuse me, while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, oh, Lord God, right? please remember me. And please strengthen me only this once more. Oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested. And he leaned his weight against them and his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all of his strength and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were in it. So the dead 
whom he killed at this death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him, brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtel in the tomb of Manoah's father. He had judged Israel 20 years. Um, it's interesting. What happens? Well, he pulls down the temple of Dagon, basically. And in doing so, he begins the deliverance of Israel. And we're not sure what happens, but the hint might be in 16 verse 22, where it says, but the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. And Samson may not, may have wanted to be like any other man, but God would not let him. God would not let him go. And uh, Sam, uh, Barry Webb in his commentary says this. He says, Samson may want to be as other men, but God would not let him be so. There in that dank, miserable, degrading prison, God reclaims his wayward child. Samson is God's servant at the end, as he was at the beginning. His death is glorious in a fashion. But we're left wondering how much more glorious a servant of God he might have been if he had only embraced his calling instead of resisting it. And so one of the, uh, one of the, there's a couple lessons I think we can get from uh, Samson. One of them is you do see, despite, despite all of his foibles, despite all of his weakness and his waywardness, you see God's providence at work. Um, we see this, look way back in uh, Judges chapter 14. I think it's chapter 14, verse 4, if I'm not mistaken. It says, um, when Samson asked for this woman, he says, get it for me, she's right in my eyes. Her, his, his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for the Lord was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. He was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines that despite all of Samson's waywardness, God carries out his judgment against the Philistines. God had orchestrated everything even from before his birth, and he carries out his will despite Samson's disobedience. In fact, he even uses Samson's missteps to carry out his will. And it's an important thing to remember because you know, we live in a world and we're like, ah, oh, you know, the world wants to have nothing to do with God and the world, you know, mocks God. And we live in a world that denies God's truth and his creation and look at the way the world's going. But God can use all the missteps to and still carry out his purposes. Right. It won't be thwarted. And that's one of the stories you see over and over again in scripture. I mean, culminating in the cross where you where the evil one thought he had won. I mean, you, you, you killed God's anointed. And that was the moment of his defeat. Right? Uh, some of you guys know, I like to try to memorize hymns. I didn't grow up with hymns, and I, I do like hymns. Um, and uh, so I have to learn the tunes, and I often it takes me forever to learn these tunes. And I usually get them wrong. But uh, the one hymn that I've been trying to learn is uh, the hymn, God moves in mysterious ways. Does anybody know that hymn? Well, let me sing it to you. No, no. <laughs> uh, I will quote it to you. It's uh, written by William Cooper, friend of John Newton's. And it says, um, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence hides a smiling face. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. But God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. So it just talks about God's providence in the midst of, of so many mysteries. In Samson's story, we actually see Israel's story. He, he kind of embodies the story of Israel. Because Samson was a holy man. He's set apart, right? Israel is set apart as a holy nation. Samson went after other women. Israel went after other gods. In desperation, Samson cried out to God. In desperation, Israel cries out to God. Samson was handed over to his enemies and taken away. Israel was handed over to her enemies and taken into exile. And both outcomes were tragic and could have been avoided. But Samson's story, we also hear our story. Because left on our own, you and I will turn away from the life that God desires us to live. And, and uh, even when we want to 
live for God, we often fall short. And so you and I need rescuing from our sins. We need a, a divine intervention to empower us to live the life we're supposed to live. And that's why I think Samson prefigures a Christ story because the, the parallels highlight the difference. Because on our own, like Samson, we're going to be bound, we're, we're blind, we're wandering like sheep and we're lost. And so the story of Samson reminds us how desperately we need the true Israel, Jesus Christ, to rescue us and empower us. But here's, here's where I think the biggest lesson is for, from the story of Samson. And, um, you know, every now and then, well, hopefully, it should be more often than not, but when I was preparing Samson this week, um, there's a moment when I was doing it and it just, it really did, I, like it just, I won't say it wrecked me, but it really affected me. Um, sometimes pastors are prone to hyperbole. I'll just say it really affected me. Um, one of the things that I think comes out of Samson's life is, uh, is, is a warning that we all face about calling. Samson's tragedy can be, will be our tragedy if we ignore the calling of God in our life. Um, see, the Bible teaches us that you and I are called to be saints, holy people set apart for God's purposes. And it's God's intention to fight the enemy through his saints, you and me. We read that in Ephesians 6. And so we're called to be light in a world that's increasingly dark. We're called to reveal God's glory in a world that has closed its blinds to the reality of God. But here's a question for us tonight. This is my question that I had to wrestle with. Am I up for it? Will you and I embrace our calling? Will we walk with God and experience the joy that comes from this? Or will we give into the temptation to become just like any other man. See, one of the things I've struggled with is, you know, I, I know I don't look it, but I am getting older. I know you probably think mid-20s, but actually later. I'm actually in my mid-50s. Um, wasn't that funny? No. <laughs> um, but one of the things, the older you get, and and it just... And, and, you know, you live in a world where if you say you're a Christian, you know, people just get mad at you and they say all sorts of things about you now. And, and it's just getting very, very difficult to be a Christian. And there's every now and then I think, oh, it'd be just nice to be retired. It'd just be nice. You know, when I meet with people and we're talking and we're getting along and I meet somebody new and then and invariably they'll ask me the question, oh, so uh, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a pastor and it usually ends the conversation and they get all awkward and wondered if they had sworn when they were talking to me or something like that. Um, and then every now and then it's just like, Oh, why can't, you know, as a Christian, just not as a pastor, but just, just as a Christian, you know, it'd be, it'd be so much easier just, just to be like everyone else. And, uh, and just live like everybody else is living. And the, the temptation that Samson experiences, I think is a temptation that you and I experience in our Christian life. Because it is tempting to just say, oh, this, this is just really hard. Maybe I'll retire and move to Galliano where it's quieter, <laughs> right? Um, and so the question, and, and that really struck me, right? It really hit me this week. You know, am, am I in it? Like when God calls us, he calls us to, to un, like, like the prophecy with Samson until his death, until our death. Like there's no retirement in the Christian life. It's not like, Oh, I've been a Christian. Now it's great. I mean, I've hit retirement. You don't retire as a Christian. And so the question is, will we be reluctant saints with our eyes looking around us, wishing we could be like everyone else? Will we make it to the end or after 10, 20, 30 years, will we be like Samson and one out? I think that's a, it's a reminder, it's a challenge that there's no early discharge in the Christian life. So how do we keep going? How do we keep going? Well, we keep going by fixing our eyes 
and the one who's gone before us, Jesus Christ, who is the Holy One of God, the founder and perfecter of our faith, right? He's the one who sends his Holy Spirit to strengthen us when our hearts grow cold and when our hands fall limp at our sides. And so I think Samson is a great warning, but an encouragement as well that you and I to embrace our calling so that we can continue to be the people that he wants us to be. And so that's, um, that's one of the things that uh, I get out of the story of Samson. Let me hear from you. Any comments, questions? Actually, I'm going to stop here. Thanks for participating in this class. If you've been engaging in classes online, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.